I hope so, because it's going to be a good day. Hey, my name is JT. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that you're here today. Today's a big day. Do you know why? Well, one we already talked about, we're taking communion today. I love it when we get to take communion. We do that on the, we're going to be, we're going to be really uh, committed to this the first Sunday of every month. So we're taking communion. Does anybody else know why today's a big day? Baptism day. Communion and baptism in, the one day, in one day. If that's not what the church is meant to be, I don't know what is. So I can't wait. We're going to do baptism. Very last thing. Um, where's Chris? Where's he hiding? You got that big mat? You ready, man? I'm ready. I can't wait. So we're going to baptize people today, and we're starting a new series called We Are the Church. And so this is a good day to be at Freshwater. I'm really excited. I've been excited all week about it. Praise God that um, through the midst of this year and through the suffering, we, we still have good things surrounding us all the time, right? M- most importantly, the Holy Spirit, who is our helper. I just, it's always blown my mind that Jesus was with his disciples right, with him, and he says, I'm about to go away, but me going away is going to be to your advantage. Would any of us think, if we actually had Jesus with us, which a lot of us have, have wished that, man, I wish I could just be around Jesus, would, would, would any of us think, yeah, the Holy Spirit's better than Jesus? It's hard for us to wrap our mind around that, right? But, but Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go, so that the helper will come, and the helper is with us. And so, I mean, praise God for Kristen that, man, she's devastated. She's lost her son, but God's still good. Tom and Kathleen, hey, they're in that older bracket. Tom and Kathleen are not old, right? They're not old, but they're older, and they've got COVID right now. Be praying for them. But hey, in the midst of COVID, they're praising God. They know that their God is good no matter what happens. And so that's, that's what we want to talk about. That's what we want to teach people. Not that they... They shouldn't suffer or be in grief or have a hard time, but know that that there's still hope and there's still even joy in the suffering because we have a good God. And this year has been full of suffering and joy, hasn't it? So that's a a lot of what we're going to be talking about in the We Are the, the Church series, about how we can actually, what is the church, how we can be the church, and no matter what the circumstances are, how can we portray the fullness of Christ to the world? But we'll get there in a second. Um, I just want you guys to know that this series... Man, I don't know that I've ever read more scripture or prayed more for a series than I did this one, just because, um, honestly, we're going to talk, not this week, but as we go through the series, we're going to talk about some, some deep things, some serious things, some um, difficult topics, and there's a part of me that didn't want to do this series, right, Brandon? We talked about it like three months ago, and I'm just like, I'm just not sure this is the series that we're supposed to do, but um, I think the whole time I knew, it, knew that it was, and so... Um, before, we even, before I even start talking about where, what scripture we're going to be in today, I just want to pray because this, this whole series has just been bathed in prayer and we need the Holy Spirit to work in us because a lot of the things we're going to be talking about in this series are just so anti the way the world operates now that it's going to be hard for us, some of us to hear even though scripture is teaching it, right? So just join me in prayer and let's ask God to do what he does. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being our Father. God, I know we think of you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you are, and you are the God above all. You are holy, you are righteous, so big we can't comprehend. But God, I thank you that you're also our Father who loves us and adores us and who's not perpetually disappointed in us but wants us to grow and to know the joy of following you, wants to know the hope and the fullness that comes with following our good Father. Jesus, thank you for dying on that cross so that we could be a part of that family, so our sins could be washed away, so that we could be made clean, so that we could repent, believe, be saved, and know we have eternity with you. And thank you, Helper. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you, that you convict and you save and you stir and you grow and you sanctify us into the holiness of Jesus Christ. God, what an amazing God you are. So God, help us to remember as we go into this series that this is not 
our church, but it is your church, Jesus. You are the head. It is about you. It is your fullness that we're trying to grow into. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to, to think of your church, what it means to, to go to church, to be the church, to live out the church in the real world. God, I pray that you would help us to just see, just to see clearly what you want for us as your bride, as your church, and that we might follow. God, I know so clearly that I can't preach well enough for people to grasp this. So Holy Spirit, you grab a hold of them. You open eyes, you take stoppers out of ears, and you help us to see and hear what you would have for us, God, so that we might follow you faithfully and reflect your glory to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew 16. And don't set them down. If you've been coming to Freshwater for any amount of time, I've said this fairly often lately. You know I like to kind of usually open one text, kind of stay in that text the whole time and really dive into it. But today, when we're talking about what the church is, we're going to be going to a lot of different texts. So keep your Bible handy, but we're going to start here in a minute in Matthew 16. Okay, so as we're starting, we are, we are like I said, we're starting the We Are the Church sermon series. And here's the thing, I'm not totally, totally convinced, or I don't totally know for sure how long this series is going to go. It's going to be at least five or six weeks, but it's been one of those times where I've, as I've prayed about it, I just felt like God was saying, hey, just be open to whatever I do. So we may wrap this thing up in five or six weeks, or this may go eight or nine weeks. I, I don't really know. So be praying that God would just lead us to talk about the things that we need to talk about, because we're going to start kind of high level up here, but by the end of this thing, we're going to get very specific. We're going to talk about very specific issues as church people that we need to be dealing with and we need to walk through together, and we may add to the end of that as as, as we go. And so I just want you to be open to it, and I, I want as a church to be open to go wherever God is going to take us, because Exodus is still going to be there when we get done. Amen? Exodus isn't going anywhere, right? It's been around for, what, 3,000 years. It'll still be there when we get done with this series. And so as I really thought a lot and prayed a lot about this series and why we're doing it and what needs to be said, there was one quote from one of my favorite authors of all time that kept coming back to my heart and to my mind again and again and again. And so the great author, the great theologian and philosopher C.S. Lewis once said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. You ever heard that one before? I love it. Like, let your mind wrap around what that means for a second. I not only see Christianity, I only see and know Jesus, but, but by Jesus, by through Christianity, I see everything else. It's just this beautiful picture of what our faith is really about. And that's what this series ultimately is really what it's going to be about. In a world that has seemingly gone crazy with COVID, and not only with COVID, right? That's a, there's a lot to deal with it, but like with COVID, all of the a million different opinions about how everything should be handled, the hundreds or thousands of different conspiracy theories, all the different convictions that go along with COVID, right? There is a lot that comes along with this disease. In a world that is just bitterly divided by politics and just entrenched in tribalism, right? This is my tribe and that's your tribe and this tribe is against that tribe and what I believe in it, like it's just divided and deeply hostile in a lot of ways to each other throughout the politics in our country and all the division that's bred out of that with seemingly constant and, in, and, and endless cultural upheaval, right? Is there not a new controversy every two or three weeks that social media blows up about and we all have to be involved in? Or if you're not involved in it, you're bad. Or if you are involved in it, you're good. Like just every two or three weeks, something else comes up again and again that you have to care so, so much about or be so, so against all the time. 
in a world where our culture is, is literally, I'm using that word correctly, literally radically changing every two to five years. Cultures don't change that fast. They've never changed that fast in the history of the world. But if you go back, I've said this before, if you go back and watch shows that came out five years ago, they're telling jokes that they couldn't tell now. Have you ever noticed that? Because our culture is changing so rapidly, we can't even keep up. We're drowning in the change of our culture and don't even realize that. And so and how do we, as Christians, as disciples of Christ, in a world that is just drowning us in its trouble and its hate and its division, and honestly, with it more and more caring less and less about what God says and right, says is right, in the midst of all that, how can we not only see Christ for who he is, but through his lens, through his worldview, see everything else? A phrase I'm going to use through this is two phrases I'm going to use a lot. Seeing things through a Christian worldview instead of seeing things the way the world says we should see them, or even more so, I'll say, the Christian worldview, how do we see things through a lens of holiness? Does that make sense to you? Because I think a lot of us see things through, hey, we want to do what's right, we don't want to walk in sin, we want to follow the Bible, but that's not really what we're called to. We're called to holiness and to see things through a lens of holiness. How would it... How would it change our lives, our workplaces, our friendships, our family, how we view politics, how we view these cultural issues, how we view things like abortion and gender and all of these other things that divide us like crazy in our country? How would our view change if we just saw it through a Christian worldview always, if we saw it through a lens of holiness? So what is the answer to all of that? If I said seeing things through a Christian worldview, staying afloat, staying above, not being drowned out in our culture that's changing so rapidly. If I said, what is the answer to that? What would you say the answer is? Here's what I'm going to say the answer is today. The church. The church is the answer. Now, some of you, when I said that, may have thought Jesus. Or some of you might have thought, like, through the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is the answer. And yes and amen to that. Yes, those are right answers. Those are correct answers. Absolutely. But in the end, I think by the power of the Holy Spirit, the church is the answer to all of those things. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the sacrifice of Christ, through the plan of the Father, the church is the answer. The church is how God has, revealed, has chosen to reveal His glory to the world. Ephesians 1.23, you don't need to turn there, I'm gonna, we're going to put it on the board. Ephesians 1.23, 22 and 23 says this, And he, God the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ so identifies with his church that the Bible says that we are not only in him, that we are one with him, that we are one spirit with him, but it says that we are his body. We are in him as his body. We are the earthly representation of the fullness and glory of the Savior of the world. Have you ever thought about it that way? We are the earthly representation by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit, but through the Holy Spirit, we are the representation of Christ's fullness in this world. But here's the thing. I'm not sure all of us really see why being in church, coming to church, and living our lives out for and through the church is that big of a deal. 
right? And when I say that, I don't just mean as individual Christians, right? But not, not just having our own faith, but why being the church is so important. Not to mention how the church helps us actually live out holy lives, alive with a Christian worldview in a world gone crazy. So this series is going to be about how being the church and being a part of the church empowers us not only to see the Son, right, to see Jesus Christ for who he is, but through him see everything else. That's where we're really going, see everything through the lens of holiness. So here's what we're going to do over the next month or two. We are just going to saturate ourselves in the Word of God. Just saturate ourselves in the Word of God. Because, man, there's so many opinions out there about everything, right? And so, what, you know, do you know how I prepared for the sermon series? And believe me, this is not because I'm a good guy, right? I got strongly convicted about what, we, what, what I needed to do. I talked with Clayton about this. To prepare for this series, series I read the New Testament and wrote down every verse I could find about the church and how we're supposed to live as the church. I ended up writing down, I think, 115 passages, probably 400-plus verses, and just saturated in that. Because you, you know what we're doing in our culture now? We're going to podcasts, and we're going to good articles, and we're going to good books, and praise God for all the information that's out there. Those, there's nothing wrong with those things. But how often do we saturate ourselves in Scripture for a long time before we run to anything else? We are living out our faith through other people's faith. Praise God for the books. There are people way smarter, way wiser, and way more holy than, than I am, and then you are. Praise God for that, right? We need our church fathers, and we need people that are writing stuff now. That is important. Don't hear me say it's not important, but how often when we're trying to figure out what we should believe, why should we believe, do we go and just sit in Scripture for a long time and let the Holy Spirit do His work before we ever go to these other things? I got strongly convicted about that in this series. Don't go to your commentary for a long, long time before you just saturate in the word. And it was good, church. It was good. And so that's what this series is going to be. We are just going to soak. We're going to soak in the word and just do our best to get away from opinions. Of course, I'm going to end up sharing opinions from the front. You can't avoid opinions completely, right? Interpretations. But we're going to do our best to get away from opinions to do our best to get away from the division and the craziness of our culture and just soak in the word for the next five to 50 weeks. However long this goes. We're going to let the word tell us what our role, what the role of the church is. Why, we're going to let the word tell us why it's so important to gather and what it actually means to be the church. And then we're going we're gonna to be able to see what the Word says about how we are to engage a culture around us in a godly way because we are not supposed to step back from the world and say, I'm done, like monks. God's called us to engage, but how? We're going to just do our best to let the Word speak way before we share anything else. And like I think I've mentioned before, by the end, we're going to talk about things, you ready for this? About how we should engage in politics as Christians. I'm going to tell you who to vote for and what politics... No, right? That, that's, that's where we tend to go really quickly, right? Well, that's, that's not where that thing is going, but, but how controversial is that? How much division is that in our country? Do you, you think politics should cause huge divisions among Christians? The answer is no, it shouldn't, but does it? 
crazy, I would almost say hatred, bitterness between brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're going to try to step back from all of that and just say, like, does, does the word speak to this at all? Does the word speak at all how we approach politics or how we approach gender, maybe how we approach race, how we approach abortion, how we approach cultural upheaval, how we approach social media? We're going to talk about these things, but before we get to any of those things, we're going to step way back, way back from all of that, from all of the controversy, and just like, what is the church and what does it mean to be the church? That's where we start. And then let that speak into all these other things. See why I'm a little bit nervous about doing this series? I'm kind of tired about talking about all those things, but they're not going away. And so we need to be empowered by the truth of God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit as the church to engage in these things in a way that God says is right. So before we touch on any of those things, um, this week we're going to look at what is the church, what is the role of the church, and why is gathering as the church so important? Because honestly, in seven years, this never happened to me. During the time of COVID where social distancing and staying at home orders and, and people being genuinely concerned about gathering with groups of people, that's a genuine concern, right? People are starting to ask me, like, well, really, what's the point of coming to church and gathering as a body? Like, can I just do life group or can I just watch on the live stream? Like, that's a legit, isn't that a legitimate question right now? Like, but in the past, I don't know that people, some people have, but I don't know if we've consistently asked that question, but people have gotten used to not being, not gathering together. And they're like, well, why do I really need to do that thing? So we're going to talk about it today. If it is important, why is it important? So let's just get to that first question. The first question that just start at the very base level. What is the church? So if you haven't turned to Matthew 16, go ahead and turn to Matthew 16. And let me give you a little context of what's going on in Matthew 16. Um, Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. And he says, who, who do people say that I am? And they give all kinds of answers. Like they say you're a prophet. They say that you're a teacher. They say that you're this, that you say you're that. And then eventually he says to them, but who do you say I am? And who steps up and answers that question? You may remember? Peter. And Peter says, you're, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, and verses 16 and 17, or 17 and 18 is Jesus' response to Peter. So look at Matthew 16, verse 17 and 18. And Jesus answered him, answered Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Church, I love that line. Hold on to that line. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter what is happening in our culture, no matter how bad things get, the gates of hell, hell will never prevail. Evil sin will never prevail against God's church. Amen? Amen. But um, I love that the, the whole, God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, reveals to Peter who Christ really is, and Peter believes so Jesus says to Peter, on this rock I will build my church. I just love it. Do you know there's actually quite a bit of controversy about what the, exactly this means? But we're going to keep it simple today because we don't have to get involved in the controversy. Like, let's just keep it simple. Um, who is described as the rock and the foundation of our faith? Jesus. But do you know also through the New Testament that the apostles' teaching is described as a rock and a foundation of our faith? So is Jesus the rock of, uh, and foundation of our faith or is the word of God a rock and foundation of our faith? 
Yes. So why do we have to argue about this? I don't even think that's the point, right? We can dive down into it, but just to keep it simple today, get away from the controversy. Jesus says, Peter, you believed. And the God the Father, the Holy Spirit, enabled you to believe, and you believed. On this rock, I will build my church. What this is about is Christ inaugurating his church, and this is how you become a part of God's family. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are the church. That's really it. Amen? So if you're in here today and you are a believer, you are the church, and the gates of hell cannot prevail against you. So the church isn't a building, and it's not an organization, and pastors aren't CEOs. We are a people. Simple, right? It's not complicated. The church is God's people. Now, here's where it gets a little bit more complicated. Not complicated, a little more complicated. Because the church is absolutely a universal thing. All believers throughout all the world will all worship God as his church someday. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, right? That's why we got to fight for things like racial equality. It's not a thing out there. It's a thing for the church because in heaven we're going to worship with everybody together. It's important, right? But the church is not only a universal thing. In the New Testament, it's also expressed as a very local thing, right? We see many, many churches spread throughout, all throughout in the New Testament. Most of the books of the New Testament are written to individual churches, all a part of the body of Christ, but very specifically addressed to very local churches. So the church is a universal thing, but it's also a very local, very, very personal thing, right? I can't be personally involved in the lives of Christians in India, in China, in Africa. I can go there for a couple weeks and engage with them and pray for them but we're not doing life together, right? So big church, universal thing. We're all on the same team. We're all fighting for the same kingdom. We're all leading people to the same salvation in Jesus Christ, but it's also expressed in a very local thing. And the local expression of the church has, has quite a few and very specific roles that it's meant to, meant to fulfill. Roles that the universal church can't fulfill. Only the local church can fulfill. So we don't have time to walk through all of those roles today all the rules of the church. I'm going to mention most of them, but I actually planned on talking about all of them, but literally my sermon would have been three hours long. So that was my plan, and then I looked at it, I'm like, ooh, nope, that's not going to happen. So we don't have time for all of them, so we're going to focus on a couple of them today, put a lot of focus on a couple, and mention the other ones. So um, let, let's just talk about the first one, because I think the first, the, these, these roles of the church are going to help us see why the local church, why coming to church, why being a part of the church is so vital in our lives, and also so vital for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, so let's look at um, the first one. The first role of the church that's in, in a major role of the local church in particular is to teach. So turn with me to 2 Timothy Four. So go right in your Bibles quite a, way, quite a ways towards the end of your New Testament. 2 Timothy. If you see the book of Hebrews, you'll be on too far. 2 Timothy 4. And so if you're unfamiliar with the books of 1 and 2 Timothy, they were written by the Apostle Paul to, well, who did he write them to? Timothy. Like, the Bible's not that complicated, right? The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. And Timothy was the guy that Paul discipled himself. He discipled and trained him up to be an elder, to be a pastor. What's the difference between elder and pastor in Scripture? Nothing, right? It's the same, it's the same word. So if I use elder or pastor or even overseer today in the Greek, it really just all means the same thing. And so Timothy is not only trained to be a part of the church and to lead the church with Paul, he's now a pastor of a local church. Right? And Paul is encouraging him how, how he can love and teach and serve and lead the church that God has 
asked him to preside over, to lead. Okay, so that's the context in 2 Timothy 4. We're going to start in verse 1. 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. This is Paul talking to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Is that not quite a lead-in? Like, in the name of Christ, for everything that's good, for the sake of the kingdom, for the one who will judge, like he's doing this big lead-in, for the sake of everything that Christ represents. Verse 2, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Do you know what that means? No matter what. When you are feeling it and when you're not. When you feel like the Holy Spirit has given you exactly what to say and when you don't feel it at all. When you are depressed and when you are full of joy. When things in your marriage are awesome and when they're falling apart. What do you do? Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Are we still waiting for that time to come? Anybody think that time hasn't come yet? Yeah. Verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You know, they've done studies on this. The churches that over the last 20 years that have tried really hard to stay culturally relevant, that have constantly changed with the times, that, that have tried to embrace the world as much as they could so people will think the church is not lame or whatever for whatever reason that the church isn't against them, those churches over the last 30 years have died off like crazy. That kind of Christianity is honestly almost gone. It's dying off like crazy. And many denominations out there as a whole, maybe not specific churches, but many denominations out there as a whole have basically completely abandoned the Bible as the source of everything good. Do you know why? They have to, right? Because they are now teaching and preaching things that are like explicitly anti-gospel. They're anti the Bible. And if they're going to continue to teach those things and embrace those things that the culture embraces, they have to discredit the Bible or they, they have to get rid of parts of the Bible. I just read about a pastor this week who basically says, we've got three things in the Bible. Things that are just absolutely not relevant anymore. Things that are kind of relevant and we can learn from but, don't, but, but aren't really truth. And then about a third that's truth. How crazy, who gets to decide what third, third, and third? But you know, they have to do that because if you're going to follow what the culture says, you have to start taking out large chunks of the Bible because it just says things clearly. Some things are clear. And if you're going to follow the culture, you can't follow the Bible. I'm not even, like that's, the only people that Jesus was really, really hard on were the teachers who taught heresy. Even the people that were church people that were messing up, he, was, he told them the truth, but he was patient with them. So I'm not, even, I'm not even trying to be like Jesus in this moment and just come down so hard on them, which I feel like I'm justified by Scripture to do. I'm just saying that's just reality. That's what's happened. And that kind of faith is dying off like crazy. Do you know that the churches that, that follow the Bible very closely, they're not dying off like crazy. They're not dying. Hey, the church is not growing a ton in our country right now, but churches that tend to follow the Bible very closely, 
and, and some denominations and some sects are growing and some are staying pretty steady. But that lukewarm Christianity that follows the culture, it's dying. Over and over and over, we see the call of, for pastors to preach the word. Why? It's not only to lead people to Christ. Obviously, yes and amen to that. How beautiful are the, per, the feet of the people who preach the good news. Yes and amen to that. But other than that is to protect, to guard, to remind. 2 Timothy 2 says that we always need to be training up men to preach and teach. 1 Timothy 4 says that many will leave the church to follow people that will let them live however they wish and that they will have their consciences seared. Has that not happened in our country? When we can now kill babies like it's nothing because it's just about women's rights, that is a seared conscience. You know, see, hey, if, uh, we'll talk about abortion later. I don't want to push on you too hard right now. I want you to be able to walk through it with me. But we can kill babies, and we're just, we're, just, oh, we're just throwing that up to women's rights, and that's all that this is about. It's about nothing else than women's rights, and we're killing babies? That is a seared conscience, church. How can we see things that way? That's what happens when you follow teachers who will tell you what they want, and they don't preach the truth because that's a lot harder to do. Way harder to be unpopular and have people to hate you for what you teach because it's true. People are leaving, following people that will tell them what they want, or can live how they want, and it's searing their consciences. Maybe the most important role of a pastor, of an elder, and maybe, maybe, maybe the most important reason that we must gather as a body is so that we can hear the word preached. And that so together we can reprove which means to correct fault. So that we can rebuke, which means to disprove and to correct error and to exhort, which means to passionately and strongly encourage people to do the right thing, and in this case, to do the holy thing. To do the holy thing. Coming and listening to someone preach the word of God, not just preach, not just be a good teacher, right? But actually preach the word of God is not just something that we're supposed to do. It is one of the pillars of having a strong faith in a healthy church. It's something that we should take, what Brandon's been saying lately, and I love it, it's something that we should take seriously and hold sacredly. Take seriously and hold sacredly, and not because what I teach is sacred or my preaching is sacred, it's because what I am preaching is sacred. That's why if you ever end up at a church that just preaches feel-good sermons and how to be a better person, self-help, run from that church. This is what's sacred. Not their opinion, not their thoughts. This is the sacred thing that we follow. This is what we take seriously. This is why we gather. It's why I spend so much time preparing. I spend a lot of time preparing. It's why Denny, as one of our pastors, is so serious about taking as much as he can off my plate so that I can pray and I can prepare. It's so that I may preach faithfully and I may preach accurately because God is going to hold me accountable to what I preach and what I say. So church, what I'm saying, it's important for us to gather to hear teaching. It's not to boost church attendance. It's because this is vital. It's a vital part of our lives. It's a vital part of being the church. It's a vital part of our faith being healthy to hear the word preached. The, the gathering of the saints is a serious and sacred thing. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but even our worship team, they do an excellent job 
of letting the words teach the gospel, teach the word. So then when I come to preach the word, those things marry up together and we're teaching the same things. We're not just here to sing. Scripture actually says when you gather, sing spiritual hymns and spiritual songs, right? Do those things. Those are good things. That's a part of being a Christian. That's a part of being the church, right? But not just to sing. We want to sing scripture. We want to sing the things of God and that teaching to marry, marry up to that. That's why, hear me, I'm going to say this might be a controversial statement in, in the church now. That's why gathering in your house to have a Bible study is a fantastic thing. Please do that. It's like life groups are so important. We want you to be in a life group. We want you to do family together. Getting together for Bible study in your house is a very, very good thing, but it is not church. It's not church. Church has specific things that are meant to be there, including a pastor, an elder that teaches the world the word. People sometimes use the verse like, hey, wherever two or three are gathered in your name, like God is there with you. Amen to that. He absolutely is. I don't know if you know that, but that's actually in the context of what we call church discipline, which we're not going to get into today. Church discipline, people hate that word. All it means is if somebody is running an unrepentant sin, you go and take that sin before them because you love them right? Not judgment, because you love them and you care for them, calling them back to Christ to restore them because you love them. The context of where two or three are gathered is in that context. When you go to confront somebody in their sin, it's saying, hey, if you're there and you're gathering to confront somebody in sin, God is with you. It also means whenever we're together and we're praying together and we're going to work together, that God's with us, the Holy Spirit with us, yes and amen. But it, it's not saying that, that, that that's church. That's, that that's church. Hebrews 13 says, that those who teach will be held accountable for what they teach and how they lead. The Word of God says that not everyone should strive to be an elder. Not everyone should strive to be a teacher because you're going to be held account for the things that you teach. Whole books of the Bible, like First and Second Timothy, are dedicated to the seriousness of this. To the seriousness of this. Hear me on this. My role as a pastor, this is important you hear this, is not more important than your role in the church. It's what God's called me to. And God's called you to things too. It's not about importance. Everything that we do in the church, every role in the church is valuable, is important. Right? This is just the role that God called me to. That's why somebody said, is it okay if I just call you JT and not pastor? It's not really my title. It's my role. Right? And so it's like, no, you never have to call me pastor if you want to. That's what makes you comfortable. Just call me JT. Nothing wrong with being pastor, right? I'm saying it's a role that God's called me to, but not more important, but I will be held accountable in a different way. Who was Jesus the hardest on? The teachers who were leading people astray. He had almost no patience for them because this is serious and this is sacred. So as a church, for it to be a church, a church scripturally, a local church must be led by elders and teachers who teach the word and also deacons. Our deacons are examples of servant leadership in our church, and our deacons love you, and they're amazing examples of what it means to follow Christ and to serve faithfully. But elders in particular are to take this role very seriously. They are to preach the word, to exhort, to encourage, to rebuke, and to protect people from getting lost in a culture that is ever-changing and in false teaching that is ever-changing and trying to pull people away. So many books in the New Testament talk about false teaching and not getting lost in false teaching and also not getting lost in the controversies of your day. Don't get lost in the controversies. Don't get lost in the false teaching. Stay united as a church and as pastors and as deacons and as elders. We are called to protect that, to guard that, and to lead you.
So the first role of the church, an absolute vital reason we must gather as a body is to hear the word preached. The second major role of the local church is to care for and encourage the saints. To care for and encourage the saints. Turn to Acts 2. Acts chapter 2. Go left in your Bibles all the way back almost to the Gospels. You see Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You've gone too far. You've gone too far. Acts chapter 2. I'm going to get there someday. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Yeah, okay, I got it. Um, context of Acts chapter 2. Acts is really about the story of the, of the church, of the beginning of the church. And what's going on in chapter 2 is Jesus has died, he has resurrected, he's ascended into heaven, and he sent out his disciples. In Acts chapter 2, do you know what happens? It's awesome. Read chapter 2 this week. I wish we could read the whole thing. Didn't have time. Peter, you know, the one that Jesus says on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Peter stands up and he preaches the gospel to a bunch of Jews on the day of Pentecost for really the first time ever. The power of the Holy Spirit falls. And what happens? Thousands are saved. Twelve people in the church, thousands of people in the church because the Holy Spirit showed up and moved in powerful ways. And so normally when we read Acts 2, we start in verse 42 because it's the beginning of the church. I want to back up into verse 41. Acts 2 verse 41. So this is after, Jesus, after Peter has preached the gospel, the Holy Spirit has fallen, people are being saved. Verse 41 says this, Acts 2, 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. You know what we're going to do today? Baptize. You know what one of the roles of the church is? To baptize. Baptize new believers. Amen to that. So we see baptism right there in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right? Just like we just talked about. Right out, right out of the gate, they devoted themselves to teaching and to the fellowship, to the gathering together, to the breaking of bread and prayers, right? The breaking of bread, right? That's maybe taking communion, but also gathering together in homes to pray together, to break bread together, to spend time together. Verse 43. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, attending church together, right? That's what they were doing. Attending the temple together and, not only, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I love that last line. So the church is not only just so that we can gather to hear teaching. That was a part of that church. They gathered together to hear teaching. Yes and amen to that. But listen, what this is really talking about is being a family. This is not cliche church talk. We, we are meant to be a family, to take care of each other, to encourage each other, and listen, to genuinely love each other. Scripture even uses that word, genuine love. Not just token love, genuine love. This is why we need Sunday morning, hear me, and life groups and discipleship. Like, to be the church, we've got to have both of those things. We see it all throughout the New Testament. We are to attend church together, but also to break bread in our homes, to gather and to take care of each other. As Galatians 10 says, as a people, as Christians, we're to do good to all people, right? Whether they're going to believe or not, whether they're believers or not now, or will be in the future, we're to do good to all people, but we're especially to do good to who? The household of God. We're especially to do good to our church family. Good to all, but especially our church family. Why? So that through our love and our care for each other, 
we are built up to be more like Christ so that we reflect his glory and so that we reflect his glory to the world. You know, the early church was heavily persecuted by Jews and later by even by the emperor, by Rome itself, right? Heavily persecuted. But you know what it also showed in, in Acts 2? So they had favor with all people. That doesn't mean every single person, right? But they had favor with people. Even though they were persecuted, they had favor with people. And people were being added to their number day by day. You know what was happening? They were seeing the way the church was taking care of each other. The way that they were loving each other. That they were, the, the early church was welcoming, welcoming in people from different cultures and different races. The rich and the poor, the slave and the free were all coming together to hear teaching, to break bread together, to love each other, to even sell their possessions to take care of each other. And the world saw this and they were attracted to it. They wanted to know, what, what, why are they living this way? What are they doing? And they would see it, and they'd be curious, and they would come, and they would hear the gospel preached by the apostles, and they would see the way that the family loved each other and took care of each other, and they would be saved. That's what the church is supposed to be. It's not just the gospel being preached. It's just not gathering on Sunday morning just to hear a teacher teach something. It's to be the church why in places like 1 Corinthians and Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, it says that God gave us gifts. God's given you all. If you're, if you're in Jesus Christ, you have a gift. Who did he give that gift for? Did he give it for you? Hey, the gifts that God gave you, if you're using and operating them in, operating in the gifts that God gave you, there's so much joy in that. There's so much joy and peace. I mean, it's fantastic to, to know God built me this way and I'm using this thing for God. That's great. Enjoy that. Amen to that. But why did he primarily give you that gift? For others. Right? So that you could pour into others. Because if I'm using my gifts and talents for you, and you're using your gifts and talents for me, if I'm giving when you are in need, and if you're giving when I am in need, the whole body is built up together, is taken care of, is encouraged, is made more like Christ. The body grows and we are all stronger. This is what the Bible's teaching, is that love and unity, in love and unity, we all become more than we could ever be alone. This is why the attitude, you've heard me say this before, the attitude that, hey, me and God are good, I don't need the church, is not only unbiblical, I'd call it sinful, and, and probably heretical. How often have you heard me say the word heretical from the front? Five times in seven years? Right? Being anti-church is being anti-Christ. The church is Christ's bride. The church is God's body. The church is his members. The church is the fullness of Christ in all of its brokenness, in all of its sinfulness, it is the reflection of God's glory on earth. And sometimes we fail at that terribly, don't we? But praise God, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. We can repent, and we can grow, and we can heal, and we can move forward together. Listen, if you've been hurt by the church, it's not because the church is broken, it's because people are broken. It's not because Jesus is broken, people are broken, and sinful people are going to do sinful and hurtful things. And so if you've been hurt by the church, can I just say something? I'm sorry that's happened to you. It's awful that's happened to you. But hear me, if we have a gathering of people who are sinful, who know they need a Savior, do you think sometimes we're going to hurt each other? It will happen. I've hurt people in this church. I do not want to hurt you. I so desperately don't want to hurt you. And I'm not saying like there was a misunderstanding and I've hurt you. I've said things and done things that have hurt people. Not, I did not intend to. 
but I am a sinful man in need of Jesus just as much as you are. And so if you've been hurt by the church, don't give up on the church. It's, it's Christ's bride. Help it to become what it should be, what it could be, what it's meant to be. Christianity is not a solo sport. It was never meant to be. God gave us each other as a gift. He gave us each other in love as the primary way of displaying his glory, his love, his holiness to a broken world. We are in this thing together, church. Be committed to it. Now, I'm going to say something blunt. But hear me, these things I'm saying, I say this in love, right? I'm not trying to hurt you. Right, I, say, I say these things in love because I, I want you to process, I want us all to see, I just want us all to think today about what the church is meant to be. This is something we talked about in, in Victory Mission this week, right? right man? Like, if we just keep it up here and we never get down here, we never really change. Christ re- never really radically changes our heart if we keep it up here in the clouds instead of being right here on the ground of like, what does this say about my life and how I can move forward? So I want to ask you a couple questions. If you typically walk into church grab some coffee and sit down and wait for service to start. Or if you typically show up five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes after service starts and then leave really quickly right after service, do you think you're going to truly experience what God wants for you in the church? I know we're living in the time of COVID, right? And we'll take that into account. But do you think if that's how you approach church on Sunday mornings, pop in, pop out, do you think you're going to experience this fullness that Jesus is talking about, that scripture talks about? If you come to church on a weekly basis primarily to get fed, right, to hear good music and to hear teaching and then get out of here so that you can feel full going into the week, and by the way, come in here and be encouraged. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Amen to that. I'm not knocking that, right? We should, man, God should work in us. It shouldn't always be making us happy as we walk out of here, but right, but like the Holy Spirit's doing something. Amen to that. But if you're coming in here primarily to come in here, get fed, and then move on, do you think you're walking in the fullness of Christ? Do you think you can experience the fullness of Christ? That scripture is talking about what the church should be. I think it is American, the American church in particular has messed this up badly because we, we created Sunday morning into an event that you attend instead of a people that gather and love each other. Hey, listen, it doesn't have to happen in a big church setting like this. Home churches are fantastic too. There needs to be a pastor. There needs to be deacons. There needs to be the roles of the church being fulfilled in that home church. But I'm not saying you have to be in a building because it's not about a building, right? It's about a church. But sometimes when we get in a building, we treat it as, as a country club, the thing that we attend once a week to, to go get what we need out of it, and then we leave, and we kind of pay our dues as we leave, as we tithe. If that's why you take it, listen, I'm going to say something radical. I don't want your tithes. Your tithes are meant to be a reflection of your love of God, not your attendance of a country club. So, I, Listen, I think we all, every person in this room some way, in some way, can fall into that trap. But is this at all described the way that you approach church? Hey, listen, for those of you that serve in the church, serve faithfully, praise God for that. You serve our church, praise God for that. We need you and we love you and I praise God for that. It's something that we are called to do and, and we need to obey in that, right? We're called to use our gifts and to serve each other, to lift each other up. But can I ask you, are you serving 
because you feel like you're supposed to or because you want to lift up our people to be more than they could ever be our people, our kids, our adults, our youth. Are you, are you, invest, you, are you serving because you want to invest in that and lift us all up to be more than we could ever be without you? Praise God that you're serving either way. Again, sometimes we have to do stuff in obedience. But it's so hard, like as the church, like to not get caught up in the serving, right? Even for people that serve, that come in and serve, and even get here early and serve, but never really engage in the way that God's, that God's called us to because we're caught up in our serving. I get caught up in that, right? I cannot let preparing a sermon rise above engaging with people. I can't let it rise above my to-do to -do list. And that's how I'm built, to go, go, go. And I have to stop and ask God, God, help me to make the people more important than the thing. It's so hard because there's so much to do. I, when, I, when I say things like this, you know what I always think about? Your kids, kids team. They give so much of themselves to make sure your kids are taught the gospel and that your kids are loved. I think how almost radically difficult it is for them to keep the thing the thing because they're asked so much of. Please go serve in his kids. Take the burden off the leaders in his kids. They need you so desperately. But how hard is it for them not to get caught up in the service of the thing instead of like lifting up the whole body? They're going to lift up your kids no matter what. Praise God for that. Even if they're caught up in the serving, man, they are teaching your kids the gospel. Praise God. How hard would it not to be? For me, maybe that's why I want to avoid his kids. Like, I'm glad I'm a preacher. Because how would I not get caught up in the service of that, right? It's hard. It's hard. I tell you what, your deacons are an amazing example of this. Your deacons give so much of themselves, and it's not because there's tasks they need to do, because they love you. It's why they're the deacons. Right? Deacon is not an elite Christian. It's just someone that's recognized as someone who desperately loves our church and leads through service. Follow their example. You know, someone else, like, I'll just give you an example. Someone else I've seen do this well. I don't know if, if James is even in here. He's probably mortified that I'm talking about him. I usually ask people before this, before I say their name. But he came up to me the other day. He's like, you know, the building's just not quite as clean as it should be when we get here. Is it okay if I just show up and clean so that kids and other people don't have to worry about how clean the building is so they can just kind of focus on other things? I'm like, yes. <laughs> Single tear. <laughs> right? Do you think cleaning bathrooms or checking on his kids make sure they're clean, do you, do you think that's a less important role than your role? Now, James does like 16 different things in our church on Sunday mornings, right? But how beautiful is that? That's about service. Like, hey, I want to do this so people don't have to worry about the mess. They can just come in and worship God. Praise God for that. That's how we serve. That's how we approach this thing. That's what God needs from all of us. That's how we want to approach Sunday mornings because Sunday mornings is not just about getting together and hearing teaching so we can head off. It's about being in the church. I gotta speed this thing up. Holy cow. I promised myself I wouldn't go off on tangents. I lied to myself. Sinner. Okay. Do, do you know why I love coming to church on Sunday morning? It's not simply because I love to preach, and I do love to preach. I love it. It's because when I get here at nine o'clock, I get to go spend time in the back with Mark, Mike, Eric with all of the guys, with Chris who's getting baptized today and catch up and, and see what's going on with them because they're, some of those guys aren't in my life group so I don't get to catch up with them as much. It's going by the booth and talking to Dustin and talking to Denver, talking to Matt and see how they're doing. Make that conversation led to Matt and I getting together this week and talking about stuff together and like me making a connection with Matt just because I met with him. I was like, you know what, we should get together, right? And it, it was awesome, wasn't it, Matt? 
And it was actually a God thing. Like that was prayed for and God just showed up. Like somebody prayed that Matt and I would get a chance to talk. And then I walk up to Matt and I'm like, hey, should we meet this week? And he's like, whoa. My wife was praying that that would happen. Did I just out you guys? I'm sorry. I didn't ask permission for that one either. He gave me a thumbs up. We're good. Like God doing, giving me the opportunity to make a connection. It's me listening to the worship team warm up and listen to, to their love of God pour out of them as, as they're serving us in the way that God's gifted them, right? Just listening to them. It's, it's running into Tracy. We, almost, we have a conversation, Tracy and I have a conversation every two to three weeks and just talking to her, but letting Tracy smile light up my day. Does Tracy smile not like light up the room? Right? It's, it's, it's talking with Esther or Renee. You know how much Esther and Renee pray for you and love you? And they're always telling me when I talk and I catch up with them, hey, you need to be praying for this person and you need to know that this is going on and maybe you should call this person. They're letting me know what's going on in the church because they desperately love you and they want me to love you that much too. I think Esther and Renee may love you more than I do. Right? And half of those people, more than half of those people aren't in my life group. It's I get here early enough to engage with all these people and find out what's going on. And unless, you're, unless you've been here not very many times, I know masks makes this difficult because sometimes I don't know who's been here and not, but without masks, that's why I try to make sure I meet every person eventually within the first five or six weeks that they're here. I try to meet every person. Church, you know why I do that? It's because I genuinely love you. I don't know if you believe that. I don't know how well you know me. I I love this church, and I love you, and I'm so invested. I'm invested all the way. God radically changed my life, and I gave it everything I thought my life was going to be because I love you. And I want to be on this mission with you. It is my family. And that's never going to happen if I slip in and out on a Sunday morning. I, I don't want you to hear strong condemnation. That's not my point. I want you to experience the fullness that Christ wants for you. I want I want you to know this kind of love. It's never going to happen if you're just coming here just only to be fed instead of giving yourself to love the people around you or if you get hung up on serving. Hear me on this too. I, I think this is where we got lost as the American church too. We try to be professionals. This is not about good programs. It's okay to have pro, pro, program certain things in the church, right? To be organized. Amen. This is not about clever ideas. This is about all of us as a church owning what God's called us to, believing in the truth of his word, believing that investing in the people that he's given us is a better way to approach this thing than as a solo mission and stepping up and following him where he leads. Us all taking ownership. So don't you dare, if I said it, don't you dare say, well, yet you're the pastor, of course you, you feel that way. Listen, I never wanted to be the pastor. I was never the pastor guy. That was never the path. God radically changed my life because I started investing in a church the way he called me to, and I actually realized where I was gifted and what, what, what God wanted in my life. This is not about being a pastor or not being a pastor. It's about giving yourself to actually you, as a member, as a person of the church, helping the church become all that Christ has promised it could be and should be. Us all on that mission together. My job, Ephesians 4, my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, not to do all the ministry, not to do all these things. It's to equip all of us to do this thing together. And here, this is one of those things that's easy. This is not complicated. Invest in the people around you. That's... It's not that much more complicated than that, right? It's not that much more complicated than that. So just, I want you to ask yourself today, am, am I giving myself to the church the way that Scripture 
calls me to. Do I think it's good advice? Or do I think this is promises from the word that I can experience the fullness of Christ? And let me hear you say, if you're a member of this church, or if you've been here, let's say, more than a half a dozen times, if you're brand new to the church today, who don't get overwhelmed, right? You're, you're just attending, you're just checking this out. That, that's, that's totally good. But if you've been here more than a half dozen times, listen, you're not really the new person anymore. Right? So don't wait for someone to come invest in you. Don't wait for someone to come talk to you. Don't ask, wait for someone to come ask you where, where, we need to be ser- like where you need to serve. You're called to serve. You're called to invest. You're called to get to know your family. You're called to love. You're called to rejoice and weep with other saints. You're called to genuine love. You don't need to pray about it. It's already commanded. It's already shown. Just go. Just go. Don't wait for someone to come to you. Again, if you've only been here a, few, a handful of times, I am not talking to you today. Praise God that you're here. At least you know what our church is about now. This is, this is not pastor trying to recruit everybody in good programs to get you guys to get together. We need to do a better job of that. Like, we want to have more meals together, especially when COVID gets over. We're talking about doing a float trip with the guys. We need to do more of that stuff. Absolutely. I'm not good at that stuff. We need to do more of that stuff. But this is not what that really is. This is just being committed to what God has actually called us to so that we might experience the fullness of Christ. Hebrews 10 tells us not to forsake the gathering, not neglect to gather together because we're meant to encourage each other and stir each other up to good works. And Acts 2 is telling us that through that, through that stirring up, through that love, through that encouragement, through those good works, others will see the glory of Christ and be saved. And we will add to our numbers day by day those who are being saved. There's so many other things about roles of the church I want to talk about today, right? We saw baptism in Acts 2. That's a role of the church. It's all over the New Testament. So one of the roles of the church is so that we might take communion together. We need to make sure we're taking communion together, right? Matthew 26, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to do that in a minute. We need to pray together, as we saw in Acts 2. We need to suffer together, right? First Peter and James are just loaded as, as a church. We are to suffer together well in Christ. I think part, one of the roles of the church is to lead in a way that we can suffer together. Matthew 28 tells us to go make disciples of all nations, nations, teaching them to obey. A church that doesn't teach people to obey and call people away from sin is not a church. It's a, it's a country club gathering. Right, one of the roles is to teach them to obey. The church is called to call people out of sin into holiness, sometimes called church discipline. That's Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians, that we are to call people out of sin into holiness. I had a ton of scripture and so many paragraphs about these roles today, and we don't have time. I cannot believe it's, don't, don't look at the clock. Don't look at your watch, right? I've got like w- way more, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this up quickly. I have way more to say. We're just gonna, is that enough? Are you getting the picture? Let this encourage you. This is something that I think is absolutely amazing. I'm going to close with this. In John 17, we see Jesus' last prayer to his father. It's like this intimate thing. I want you to read John 17 and, and look at how intimate it is. We get to see one of Jesus' prayers to his father. And it's his last prayer because in John 18, he's arrested, betrayed, and goes to the cross. So basically the last thing that we see Jesus is praying to his father. In John 17, 17 through 23 is what we're going to read today. I'm going to sum it up. But you know what he's praying for? You. He's saying, I'm praying for my disciples and those who will believe so that they may be one as Father, you are and I are one. He says, they're, they're one in me, Father, and I'm one in you, and I want them to experience what it's like to be one with you, Father, what it's like to be one with me that we might be unified together in love. Why? 
Why did he say that? Not just for our sake, but so that the world may know that you sent me. So the world may know that you sent me through our unity, through our love, through our trusting in Christ and trusting in each other and gathering, being of one heart, one soul, one mind, the world will know Jesus. That is the church. Not Sunday morning attendance, being the church. How beautiful, how amazing is it? That's the, one of the last things we ever hear Jesus pray about. He's praying about you, and he's praying about us gathered together. So what I'm asking you to do today, church, is take a step. That's it. When it comes to being the church, when it comes to coming to the church in the way that God's called us to, if you feel like out of 10, on a scale of 1 to 10, you're at a 2, don't try to be a 9. You'll just feel condemnation. You'll just feel like you're not good enough all the time. What's, where can you go to step 3 and 4? Where can I just take a step forward to to more invest in this thing so that I might experience the fullness of Christ and so I might lift up this whole thing to be more than it could ever be without me. Here's a couple of suggestions. This one's going to be sound crazy. Meet some people. And I know for some of you, like if I'm saying, just go up and meet someone. Just go up and introduce yourself to someone. I know that freaks some of you out, right? We, we got to get past that as a family, right? You never get to know people as your family until you go and meet them. But you might know, also be like, man, I don't know their name or have I met them before? Hey, it's okay. You just walk up to someone and you say this. You ready? Have we met before? And they're going to say yes or no and take it from there. I met, I met a new person this morning and the, the, the girl I had never met before and the guy I had met before. And I said, have we met before? He's like, yeah. I was like, how many times have you been here? He's like, five, I don't know, five or eight times. I'm like, sorry. Right, but now I know that I know him. With the masks, it makes it hard, doesn't it? Like when I turned 35, I just, stopped, I just stopped remembering names. It is the worst thing for a pastor ever, right? I just, I don't remember names anymore. It's crazy. Like my mind is going, pray for me, right? But, but I, you know what you say if you don't know somebody? I know I should know your name. Remind me what it is. And that awkwardness lasts for two seconds instead of you avoiding them for eight months because you don't remember their name. I've heard you say that before. I'm not going to say who, but I've heard people in this congregation say that before. I know, but I know I know them and I should remember them. It's, oh, hey, is it okay if somebody forgot your name? Yeah, it's okay. Tell them your name because you probably forgot their name too, right? Just say, I know I should know your name. I know we've met before. Will you remind me your name? Hey, I'm JT. It's so nice to meet you. And then just have a conversation. Hey, how many times have you been here? Do you live in the city? Do you have kids? Do you have family around, right? Like, have you been to church before? Like, I don't know. Ask, like, have a person conversation. Are you human? <laughs> have a have a conversation and don't let the awkwardness of, I don't remember if we've talked before and I don't remember your name. Just, I, I, have, I do that three times every Sunday. Remind me your name again. Dang it. Yeah, okay, good. And I mean, I thought Jeremiah's name was Abraham. I was totally wrong, Jeremiah, right? But I figured it out. I've got it now. I've got it now. It's Jeremiah. It's locked in, right? So here's my challenge. I know we're in COVID era and we got to be careful. I'm not asking you to take a bunch of risks. I want you to be comfortable where you are. Although do not let fear rule over your life. Right, but meet one person a week, one family a week, and then talk to them again the next week. That's how, this, that's how I know most of you. And I've made pretty significant connections with most of you, not all of you, with most of you. Just that's it. Ask about them and then follow up the next week and then maybe two or three weeks down, follow up with them again and get to know them over time. And over time, you'll start to get to know everybody. One person, one family a week. Is that, that's a small step, isn't it? 
Here's another small step that will radically change your heart. I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. Get up 15 minutes earlier, and before you leave for church, pray for the church for 10 or 15 minutes. Pray that God would move in power. Pray that His Holy Spirit would stir and convict and grow and save. Pray for the lost. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray by name for people that you know are struggling. Pray for, pray for this service. Pray for God to move in power. And over time, I promise, God will radically change how much you love this church. That's why I talked about Renee and Esther earlier. They pray for you, and, they have a, and because of that, they have a deep love for you. I don't know that anything has prepared my heart more to love you than spending time with the Lord, asking God to, to intercede on your behalf. That is not your pastor being a good guy. That is God changing my heart to love because I'm a go, 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 go kind of guy. I am not naturally gentle or patient or even that kind, naturally. But praise God, he has radically changed my heart to be at least some of those things. And he'll do it to you. That'll change your heart. And then lastly, small step. Pretend that church starts at 930. so you'll get here by 9.50. Hey, I'm joking. That's fair. That is a fair thing for me to say, right? At 10.05, we had like seven people here, right? And now we got a room full of people, right? But now, that, I'm making a joke, but, but get here at 9.50 and talk to people for 20 minutes and it'll change everything. Do not show up right after church starts, right when church starts. I know some might give some of you anxiety. Trust the promises of the word more than you trust your anxiety with engaging people and God will change your heart. And then all that anxiety will start to go away because you'll know everybody. And they're going to love you and you're going to love them and you're going to serve them and they're going to serve you and you're going to be more than you could ever be and you're going to experience the fullness of Christ in a way that you never could before without it. Church, the gathering of the saints and the role of the church is a sacred thing. It is a serious thing. It is a holy thing. So let us take it seriously. Let us hold it sacredly. And let's engage in it in the way that the Bible actually calls us to engage in it so that we might experience the fullness of Christ. And so, and so through that, the world might see it and we may proclaim his glory to the world. Amen? Amen, let's pray.